You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We are starting this new series looking at the book of Jude. And if I could give you some homework this week, it would simply be to read the book of Jude. It's an easy book to read because it's one chapter of the Bible. It's the second last book of the Bible. It'll take you six minutes if you're a slow reader to read it. In fact, if you're a fast reader, you could read it twice in six minutes. It's all there for you, the book of Jude. It's a brilliant book of the Bible and there's so much that we can learn from it. Now, when it comes to preaching on a Sunday and the different series that we do in the life of our church, there are different aims and different purposes for different sermons for different series. Some of our sermons are like windows into a room. They illuminate light and a kind of, you know, help in some ways. There are other messages and series that are like foundational messages. And this is one of those. This is a foundation moment. Sometimes when you start to mess around with the foundations, it can be messy, but it's an important conversation for us to have because it's foundations that build the house. If we get the foundations wrong, then everything will be wrong. So foundations are really, really, really important for us. And so this whole series is a foundational series. A few years ago, I wanna say maybe about 20 years ago, Pastor Stuart, when he was a youth pastor in Leicester, he went overseas on mission. I was youth pastoring in Sheffield. And at the end of his mission trip, he came back to the UK and we caught up with each other a few weeks later. He said, Glenn, while I was on mission, I bought you a gift. And I was like, wow, this is incredibly generous. Thanks, Stu. And so I opened this small box and inside there was a Rolex. It was gold coloured. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, Stu. Thanks for your generosity. And then he said this. He said, in fact, the deal was so good, Glenn, I bought you two Rolexes and opened the second one. One was gold looking, one was silver looking. I I took it out, I I put it on, never having seen or worn a Rolex at that stage in my life. I put it on, thought, wow, this is amazing. By the end of week number one, the L in Rolex fell off. It was rattling around inside. I was now wearing a Rolex. Week number two, the second hand fell off. I swear the big hand fell off as well. And, uh, but I still wear it like a statement piece, a little piece of jewellery on my hand. How many of you know that in life there are some not so good fakes? Give me a wave. I can take you to Cheatham Hill. There's some not so good fakes up there. Some Prada, some different things that look like the real thing. But when you take a close look, you realise not so true. You ever been on holidays in Europe and been tempted to buy that cheaper football shirt only to get a closer inspection to realise that it's a fake. In life, there's some not so good fakes. We've got some coming up on screen. I'm never gonna use this toothpaste. That's never ever gonna be a toothpaste that I use. The next one's a coffee shop, I think, coming up on screen. This coffee shop, Sunbucks Coffee. 
That's good, isn't it? In fact, if you go to Bethlehem, modern day Bethlehem, as you walk up towards the big two churches that are standing there representative of, of where Jesus was supposed to have been born geographically, there is a coffee shop with the same logo, but it's called this. It's called Stars and Bucks. Just on the right-hand side, it's, it's a fake. I think we've got one more coming up on screen here as well. The North fake. There's some not good fakes out there, folks. Some years ago when Pastor Darren and I, we were riding motorbikes through Mongolia, it happened to be World Cup and England were playing, playing Germany that night and we were out in the middle of nowhere in Mongolia on these motorbikes. And I said to our lead rider, I said, hey, any chance that we can watch England play Germany tonight? thinking there's no chance, he said, leave it with me. That particular day, we kind of went up a mountain, down a hill, onto a plane. We were riding across this plane that seemed to go for ages. Darren will bear witness to this. These wild ponies came to run alongside us as we were riding the motorbikes. And up in the distance, there was this, these huts, these gear huts with a stick and a small solar panel outside the hut. Turned out he found a place for us to watch England played Germany and we went in, there was about eight riders, we went into this small hut and we watched on this small TV, England played Germany in the World Cup. But the thing that was really enjoyable about it was that the TV wasn't a Samsung, it was a Sam Snug. <laughs> but we got to watch the game. There's some not good fakes out there. Here's the question for you. What do you do when the fake is so subtle that it's hard to work out whether or not it's the real deal or not. And this is what this series in Jude is all about in the Bible. Now, I don't wanna take for granted that you all know about the Bible, but this is a Bible. The Bible has been around for thousands of years and the Bible is a profound book because it was written over a time span of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, all saying the same thing with no contradictions in it whatsoever. There has never, ever, ever been a book like the Bible. And it and really means that even if you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, the fact that 40 authors have worked over 1500 year time span to present something like this to us should cause you at least to stop and pay a little bit of attention to what's written in the book of the Bible, in the books of the Bible. It's actually 66 books put together. There's an old part, the Old Testament, 39 books, and the New Testament, 27 books, makes up the 66 books. And the difference between the old part and the new part, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the coming of the Lord Jesus. When God came from heaven to earth, Jesus Christ came, and He fulfilled over 300 prophecies foretold thousands of years earlier in the early part of the book, Jesus came and fulfilled it. And so that dividing line between the old and the new is when Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to buy us back so we can have a relationship with God the Father and have eternal life. And so when we read the New Testament pages, we're reading about the foundation and the formation of the early church, the foundation that we build our Christian faith on again today. A combination of the old and new coming together. And so in this book, looking at the book of Jude, it's important to know that Jude was Jesus' half-brother. His half-brother was called Judas. Now let's face it, if you were called Judas, 
you'd abbreviate your name too. He's not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, but his name was Judas. In the same way, we don't see many Adolfs running around there. Back in these days, they changed their name from Judas to Jude. And he wrote these pages that we're about to read. He wrote these words about 25 to 40 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason he wrote this chapter of the Bible is because the early church were really struggling. There were people who were coming into the church to try to change the belief system of the church to suit people's own needs and own feelings. In many ways, it's exactly like today. We live in a day where there are pressures upon the Christian church to conform our beliefs to what is popular in society today. And so what Jude does is he writes a short, sharp letter to the church to encourage us to fight for truth. Here's what he says in Jude verse three. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, pause. In other words, he was gonna pick something really easy. Other authors had written about it. People were living in the salvation of Jesus Christ. He said, I wanted to do the easy track, but I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The next four weeks are about contending for the faith. The word contend, it means to fight. I want you to fight for truth is what he's saying. The word contend, the image that we get is you being in bed asleep, you hear the door downstairs in your house being kicked open and you get up to contend, to fight for what is yours, for your children and for the inheritance that is within your house. It's the same image that is going on there. Contend for the faith. You see, here's the thing, Audacious Church, it's important to know this, that we are people of the book, the Bible. If you've been around in Audacious Church more than two minutes, you know I call it the book because it's the book of books. There's never been a book like it and we are people of the book. If we go back in history 500 years into Europe, the Reformation was spreading like wildfire across Europe. So many people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Radical transformations in society. And one of the main reasons for that was the, 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 um, the invention of the printing press by Johann Gutenberg, who made it possible for pamphlets and copies of books to be made and to be mass produced. And certainly what began to happen in the 1500s is that the Bible was being translated from the Greek, from the Latin, which is called the Vulgate. It was being translated from Latin into the modern day language. Back 500 years ago, the only people who could speak Latin were the wealthy and also the priests. But now in Germany, now in the Netherlands, now in Spain and in France, now translations were being made available so you and I could read the Bible as well. In the 1500s, same thing happened in Britain. For the first time, we had a version of the Bible in English. Produced by William Tyndale, he created an English translation of the Latin script of the Bible 
and made it possible for common people like you and I to read the Bible for ourselves. And the reason the Reformation took place was because all of a sudden, people were being presented with an image of God that they had never seen before. You see, in the church around that time, we know, don't we, that power corrupts. And so what had happened is this, is ungodly men had got into the church and were trying to mould the church after their own beliefs. But now we had the Bible in English and in German and Spanish. And now we're seeing, wait a minute, God is good. He's loving, He's gracious, and He's actually accessible. I don't need a priest or a pastor or an apostle to access God. I can access God wherever I am, anytime. And this was like revolutionary. And this book began to transform lives. It began to transform families, societies, nations were transformed because the Kingdom of Heaven was coming to earth and transformation began to take place. Make no mistake, this is a dangerous book. This is still the most bought book every year. It's the most stolen book. It's the most banned book. Did you know in 2024, this book is illegal or severely restricted in 52 nations of the world right now. Over 25% of of the countries on this planet make it impossible for someone to have this book. How many versions do you have on the shelf at home? Or how many translations do we easily and readily have access to in our phones? And that's why this book is so important. And that's why the words of Jude are so important. He says this in Jude 17 to 19, but dear friends, remember what the Apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So let me tell you two things that we in Audacious Church believe as a foundation moving forward so that you know where we stand. Let me tell you what every Christian church should believe. And the first thing we believe is this, taken from the book of Jude, is we believe Bible truth. You know the saying, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's been replaced with my truth, their truth and any truth. And the challenge that we have today is this, is that in a society where truth is truly under attack, we know it's under attack because every person has their own personal freedom. And whenever you challenge somebody's personal freedom, what they believe to be true, it's almost like an affront to their personhood. Am I right? Uh, So where's truth? But the Bible says it is the truth that sets you free. Well, whose truth? My truth. Your truth, the religion up the road, the social media influencer, whose truth is the truth that we should believe? And how should we believe? In the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges. Judges talks about a history of the time of God's people where they didn't have a king who was their ruler. They had judges who were their leaders. And and it's it's an interesting history. There's highs and lows 
But in the last chapter, in the last verse of Judges, Judges 21 verse 25, it says these words. It says, In those days, Israel, God's people, had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Maybe a good summary of the world we live in. Hey, everyone did as they saw fit. And to challenge what people see fit is this affront to personhood and we have a problem. Let me just say this about what you believe. If you are offended and cannot defend what you believe without shutting down the conversation and walking away, then maybe you need to get a new set of beliefs. I've been involved in many, many conversations over the last two decades in in all sorts of settings about what we believe and why. Just this week, yesterday actually, yesterday I was in the hospital and they're doing a checkup on my eye. Thank you for your prayers, everybody, by the way. Um, I don't know what the scans reveal until two weeks time, but I can tell you this, that when I looked with my right eye, I could actually see two lines better yesterday than three months ago when I was there. Now, I don't know if I can see better through this eye or what it is, but I'm taking that as part of the healing in Jesus' Name. Anyway, I'm sitting there, right? And while I'm waiting to get called to go and get these horrible eye drops in before they scan the eye, the person in front of me was called. The nurse comes out and says, John Calvin. Now I had my computer and I was working away and I looked up and this guy in front of me sat, he walked off. And then he came back with red eyes because they put the drops in and they were waiting for them to do what they do before they scan them. And I, and I said, your name's John Calvin. He says, yeah. And I said, wow. I said, uh, do you know the history of John Calvin? He goes, no. So I talked about church history. This amazing John Calvin. And then somebody on the other side of the waiting room, she goes, I know John Calvin. You're talking about Calvinism and Armenianism, aren't you? I said, that's what we're talking about. We had this crazy theological conversation in the hospital and it got cut short because then I had to go for my appointment and different things like that. But what I do know is this, is is it's important for us to understand why we believe what we believe. If you can't defend what you believe, what am I, three? That you would just say, well, because I said so. Like you did with your kids, yeah? Yeah. Daddy, what about this? 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 And you give explanation, explanation, explanation to reach the point. You end up saying, because I said so. And it feels like that's the true same with truth today. The people are defending truth with the statement, because I said so. And in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, people did whatever they wanted because they had no king. And in the next book of the Bible, we realise the only redeeming route for them was to get a king. Can I suggest that what we need is not to be living like there's no king, but in acceptance that there is a king called Jesus, that the only redeeming route is to understand truth as conveyed by the One who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And that's what we believe. We believe Bible truth. Now there is a verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And it says this, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Not hearing a pastor's words and not hearing a social media influencer 
and not hearing a boss or a head teacher or a prime minister. No, no, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So get this, faith saves us because faith positions us to receive from Jesus and become one of His followers. So here's the thing, if we can undermine faith, then we are truly attacking the Word. And when people are busy undermining faith, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, uh, they're attacking the Word of God. So think about this in the Old Testament. First account we read about is the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God created Adam, the perfect man, and put him in a perfect world. The Bible says that God brought all the animals before Adam and Adam named all of the animals. And God said, that which you've spoken over, I will give you dominion over. And then God said to Adam this, Adam, there is a tree in the garden called the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that fruit. And after that, it says this, God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So He created Eve and said, now go forth and multiply. What happens next in the account? What happens next is this, is the devil comes into the garden and goes up to Eve to undermine the Word of God and therefore call into question her position as a child of God. The devil said to her, did God say? It's an attack on faith, therefore undermining the Word of God or vice versa there, undermining the Word of God, attacking faith. And, it, and she began to call into question the words of God. Notice this, Audacious Church. The devil didn't go to Adam and say, did God say? The devil went to Eve. Why Eve and not Adam? I think the answer is found in the timing. You see, it was Adam who got a first-hand revelation of the Word. God spoke to him. He didn't speak to her, He spoke to him. Adam, don't eat of the fruit in that tree. Then Eve was created and then the devil comes to Eve and says, did God say? You see, Eve was susceptible because she heard the Word secondhand. Presumably, it was Adam who said, hey Eve, we can do whatever we want. Just that fruit over there, don't eat that fruit. She had a secondhand revelation of the Word. And so when the devil came to undermine faith, therefore attack her salvation, the Word of God, we have the problem that happened. I'm saying it's the same with you, friends. That's why you need the book. That's why you gotta be, we gotta stick to the book. We gotta be people of the book because it's not good enough to say, well, well, my pastor says, this prophet in America says, this apostle in Nigeria says, who cares what I say? Isn't that what we read in the Bible? When Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they say, well, some say this and some say this and some say this. And Jesus says, no, but what do you say? What, what do, who do you say I am? In other words, what's your personal revelation? So church, I wanna tell you, get the book, read the book. You've gotta be thankful for this book. You gotta know there's something right in this if 52 nations are banning it. You gotta know there's something dangerous in this if when we read it, transformation comes from heaven to earth. 
If you wanna transform 2024, read the book. If you want God to change your marriage and your family, read the book. You want God to do something in your business, read the book. Friends, you want God to do something in your investment portfolio, you wanna get wisdom in that, read the book. It is amazing how time and time again, just little things that are spoken about in the book can speak so precisely into a moment in your life. Why? Because you took the time to read the book. Jude says, contend for the faith. Contend for this. And I tell you why we should love this book. It's because this this is safety right here. How do you know Audacious Church is never gonna become a cult? A cult? It's because we've got the book. It's because your pastors, your preachers, your teachers, we're saying to you, hey, don't take our word for it. You've got a book. It's the rule of thumb. It's the measure. It's the thing that holds us fast. Stick to the book. Turn to your neighbour, say, stick to the book. Turn to your other neighbour, say, the book's the most important thing. And here's my second thought. We're gonna stick to the book. But secondly, I wanna encourage you that we believe in what I'm calling today, historic orthodoxy. Historic orthodoxy. We have a saying in our church and it goes like this. We are old school, new school. New school, old school. In my hand, I have two Bibles. We have one that looks pretty old school and we have one that's fairly new school. One is crazy and zany, the other's not. Now, it would be fair to say that Audacious Church, crazy and zany. If you're here for the first time, you may think we're weird. But as we all know, everybody's somebody else's weirdo, right? This looks crazy and zany. This one, not so much. We're new school in that we use modern technology to do church. We, we Certain methodology and certain things that we do, a style of communicating, whatever it is. It's, it's new school, but when you open the pages, make no mistake, it's old school. Historic orthodoxy. In other words, we believe what the Bible says. What the Bible says is what we believe. In other words, we're not fad-based. We're not looking for just some popular cultural conversation. We are conservatively orthodox, not conservative politics. Conservative in our theology. Conservative orthodoxy. And if you go on our website, you'll see this. This is our statement of faith regarding the Bible. We hold an orthodox, conservative view of Scripture in that we believe the Bible, i.e. the Old and New Testaments, excluding the Apocrypha, is the inspired Word of God, the infallible, all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. So what do we do, church? We stick to the book. When society disagrees, we stick to the book. When popular opinion is against us, we stick to the book. Why? Because we made a commitment to the book. We made a commitment to the Word of God. It's a commitment I made 28 years ago when I graduated from Bible seminary. It was a commitment that I reaffirmed 26 years ago when I got my ordination into ministry. It's a commitment that we made 16 years ago when we planted Audacious Church. And it's a commitment that I'm making to you again at the beginning of 2024, that we will stick to the book. The book is the most important thing. We are, we're conservative in our theology. We believe what the Bible says. We're not picking and choosing. 
You know, I often get really interesting emails. Um, coming up on screen is an email we got recently. Uh, it's a lot longer than what you can see on screen. Um, and we've blurred it out so you can't see the content and, uh, and different things like that. Really interesting email actually. Um, you know, caps, bold, underline, italics, lots of different colours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I don't know the person, I, I don't think the person is in our church because if she was, she would know that we're a house of grace. And, um, and this lady has sent me two emails in the whole time that she has been communicating with me and both of them were, were vitriolic and angry. Never once has she said, Pastor Glenn, love the church, love, love a life group, nothing like that. It's just these, these two, and that's okay. And, I, and I'm okay with that, I'm a big boy. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, okay, I, I, I can handle it. When I got the email and I read it, straight away I was mad. I wasn't mad with her, I was mad with me. Because I thought, okay, she's picked up on something that I've said in church and is I obviously didn't communicate it properly. In the time that I had, maybe I cut corners, I did whatever, but I actually listened back to the message and thought to myself, this, this woman, she, she, has, she has taken what she considers to be truth and, and is comparing and contrasting with the truth that I was bringing from Scripture. But what was really cunning was the way she used the Bible to support what she was saying. The trouble is this, I've been reading the Bible since I was four. And if 10,000 hours in a subject makes you an expert, I reckon I'm nearly an expert in the Bible. Now, I'm still learning all the time, but what I did is this, I sat on a train from Manchester to London and I went line by line through everything she said and I pulled apart her argument theologically and biblically to help her understand why what she wrote was crazy. And then I got to the end of it and I was about to press send and I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't you dare. I'm glad he did, to be honest. So I sent her an email, said, hey, listen, thanks for your email. Why don't you come in, let's have a coffee. Let's, let's talk about it together. I'd love to, because it's the second time that this has happened, right? The reason I tell you that is because she had a truth that she loved and she's passionate about, and I presume she still does. And I don't know if she's here in this service. Uh, I know her first name. I don't know her last name. I don't know if she's part of Audacia Church or just online watching or I, I don't know. But, but just going through the exercise of, of me going, okay, why do I believe what I believe? Well, you know, there's two things you've got to understand when it comes to actually when it read, reading the Bible and using the Bible as a foundation for what you believe. Two words. The first word is the word exegesis. And exegesis is when we read the Bible and we ask the question, we're asking the question, what, why was this written in the first place? What was the context? Why did Jude feel it was important to write these words to the people that he addressed the letter to? That's exegesis. Hermeneutics is the second word. And that's when we apply Scripture into our modern day context. So every Bible preacher, every I would suggest every Bible reader should understand these two things. Friends, if you understand how to do exegesis and hermeneutics, you'll be able to sit in church and go, hang on a minute. Pastor, I'm not too sure what Pastor Glenn, you're able to actually use this as a, as a measure, as a rule to go, hang on, Glenn, Glenn, stick to the Word. She said to me several times there, stick to the Word. And I thought to myself, I ain't sticking to your Word because she got her exegesis and hermeneutics terribly wrong. Now I say that because I'm wanting you to know that in everyday life, you too, will be asked questions about why you believe what you believe. And if you believe the Bible to be the Word of God, that it is so important that you know the book. 
great book coming up on screen. I wanna encourage you to get it. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Gordon Fee is a brilliant, was a brilliant Pentecostal theologian and statesman from Canada. He recently passed away, but his book, I first read this about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and it is a brilliant, brilliant book. It's simple. It helps you to understand how in your life, how in your own Bible reading, you too can do exegesis and hermeneutics and not go into a flap when people start to question why you believe what you believe. So Jude's writing saying, hey, be careful that people don't come in and divide you and water down what you believe. Because in the last days, there will be scoffers. There will be people trying to convince you of their own emotional truth. Because it's hard to respond, isn't it, to people's emotions. That's why we have the book. So when people ask me my thoughts on things, I wanna know this. Are we putting the King and the book in the conversation or not? If the King and the book is not in the conversation, then do whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. Live however you want. Doesn't bother me. But if the Bible, what it's saying is true, the truth will set you free, then we gotta put the Bible at the beginning of the conversation. Okay, what, is, what does the Bible say about this? Do your own study this week. Come back with a whole heap of questions. I'll be on the door. Let's talk about things. But bring the book. If you bring an opinion, we can debate till the cow's home. But if we're bringing the book, I'm here to tell you that this church is a church of the book. How do you contend for the faith? Read the book, know the book. And when you know something personally and you get intimate with it, it is amazing how you can tell a fake a mile away. I mean, I'd never held a Rolex before until I held the one Stuart gave me. I didn't know that Rolexes were meant to have weight because the one that Stuart bought me was like paper. But the more you touch it, the more intimate you are with it, the more you know it, the more you realise. Just a few years ago, <coughs> I finished an eight, nine year journey. Every day, <coughs> excuse me, reading my Bible, taking notes, doing my own exegesis and hermeneutics. And then I was also reading some commentaries by a Church of England vicar, well, a vicar called Matthew Henry. One of the reasons why we planted our campus in Chester was because Matthew Henry in the 1700s was a minister of a church in Chester. And I wanted to honour his heritage and, and the spiritual wells that he dug in Chester. And that's part of the reason why we did Chester. It took me eight, nine years. Every day I read my Bible and every day I read his commentaries, big, big commentaries. And I started in Genesis. And when I got to Acts, I noticed the change. It looked different. It just... It sounded different. It didn't really sound like Matthew Henry. I was actually being mentored by a dead person. His teaching and his coaching was mentoring me. But now in the book of Acts, things changed. And so I thought, this reads different. And I did the next week or so. I thought, this sounds, this feels strange. And so I went online to discover that Matthew Henry was doing his commentaries of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But when he got to the book of Acts, he died. So what his peers did is they took his writings and his sermons 
and they put it together and they created a commentary, a compilation of his thoughts and ideas from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation, but it wasn't his specific writing. It was secondhand information. And I had read it every day for eight years and I could tell it was different. It's like old school in the banks, you know, when they used to count the money, count the money, count the money. And the tellers would count the money and every now and again, a fake would come along and go, fake, didn't even have to hold up to the light. They knew the feel of it so much, they could tell a fake. My prayer for you is this, is that you would get this book so deep in your spirit that you can tell a fake a mile away in Jesus' Name. Come on, let's give Him praise today in church. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.